the Under Center Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Dara Mar, and I'm flying solo this afternoon, or this evening, I should say. Uh, for the time being, at least, I hope to have Fionn on in a little bit, but I'm not flying totally solo, because joining us here for the first part of the show, I'm delighted to have Steve O'Rourke on with me. Steve, it's great to have you back on the show again. How are you? I'm really good, Dara. How are you? Not too bad, actually, and not too bad. Not many people actually say that back. It's nice to be asked how I do. It's just, oh, yeah. it's just <laughs> It is, it is. That's just the uh, sort of Irish politeness that we all have here. We'll, and we'll say bye, bye, bye so many times at the end of this interview as well <laughs> before, we, before we finish it up. Um, but before we get into talking about the uh, the Raiders and, and the Cowboys game, of course, this Thursday, I must mention that this show is brought to you by McGowan's of Bibs. We're this Thursday for the Thanksgiving Day special upstairs at McGowan's. You can get free chicken wings from 6 to 9 p.m. as well as two-for-one drinks offers for uh, each game for a certain touchdown scorer. So in, the, uh, in this Raiders and... Cowboys game, it's going to be either Zeke Elliott or Darren Waller. We have Mark Ingram or uh, Stefan Diggs in the Bills and uh, Saints game. And then in the uh, Bears and Lions game, uh, we had to pick people because, you know, it's only fair, even though probably there won't be that many points scored in it. We're going to go with DeAndre Swift or Darnell Mooney. So uh, make sure you get your votes in for that before the end of today. So you have a chance to win two for one drinks for the core if you like that too. So make sure you also book your table at McGowan's for Thursday if you are heading down, of course, in, in accordance with government guidelines. But that's all the ad stuff out of the way, Steve. Let's talk about the Raiders. Five and five at the moment. A really sort of disappointing loss at the weekend against the Bengals by 32 points to 13. You know, they've had a sort of good start to the year. It's sort of not. It's a coming apart a little bit, you could say, at the seams at the moment. Yeah, like the start to the season felt like a real tree, you know. Um, I would think there was a couple of teams, maybe Denver and, and Carolina, who started tree, you know, um, and you felt that that was a schedule thing. Whereas with the Raiders, it became very clear very quickly that because Bradley had had fixed the defense uh, a lot. Um, it wasn't really hard. I mean, you're coming from 32nd or 31st ranked defense over the last five years. The, the only way is up. But no, there was definitely a system in place. And that's continued. I mean, defensively, even in the losses, they've played really, really well. Like, I mean, I think Max Crosby is 45 to 1 to be defensive player of the year. And to me, that is beca- only because pressures aren't valued as much to your casual sort of watcher as sacks are. And like, they're not as impactful, obviously like, but you ask any quarterback at any level, the guy who's constantly in his face is much more damaging than the guy who gets to him once. Um, And I think that the, the defensive line has been really, really good. The secondary is still a little bit shaky, but yeah, it just feels like it, it, it it's not an excuse, but it feels like the off the field stuff that has happened you know, twice this season, they've they've put up with things that might happen to a, a team once in a decade, twice in the space of a few weeks. And I think it's really starting to have an impact on the field now, particularly with the offense. Um, 
And while the Henry Ruggs stuff is obviously a tragedy for for the woman who lost her life and for her family and for Henry Ruggs, who whose life is now going to be very, very different than he imagined it was going to be a few weeks ago. It, on the field, it has made a massive difference to the Raiders' offense. They don't have that player who can take the top off the of defense anymore. Um, and you can see the offensive struggles recently. I mean, not like the losses against the Bears and uh, and against the Giants in particular, like they're games that they absolutely should be winning. Even on Sunday, I mean, their first possession of the game, they got the ball at the nine yard line and they didn't take one shot at the end zone. It's kind of, it's very much coaching scared at the moment or coaching afraid to make mistakes. And you saw, if anyone watched the game on on, on Sunday, the one, the, the touchdown they got, like, three passes, 75 yards, each play over, well over 20 yards. That's what the Raiders' offense can be. And they just don't go to it enough. Um, they're obsessed with trying to establish a run game when I think we've all realized in 2021, you don't need to have a balanced offense. If you've got the right players, and in Darren Waller, they have an absolute superstar, you can be a completely unbalanced offense and still make it work. So it's fr- it's been frustrating because... You, as a fan, I know they're so much better than the, a five and five record. I think they could easily, easily be eight and two, and I don't think people would have much complaints. But again, a lot of this is because of the Gruden stuff, because of the rogue stuff. Like it has to be having an impact on the team now. Yeah, and like that, we obviously don't want to go into much detail about the the Gruden issue, um, but. That was something that was definitely brought up out of the blue. Um, all, all those emails, um, taken from the Washington investigation, and um, Gruden has uh, looked like he is going to look to sue Roger Goodell in the NFL for for that. And you know, it'd be interesting to see what what was your sort of point of view on it because quite rightly Gruden was, uh, was sacked from the team or or left amicably, whichever way you want to, whichever way they want to phrase it. But there's got to be more to come out from this as well because it's it's strange that only those emails were the ones that were seemingly leaked. Yeah, I, I think this is it. There are, there are two distinct issues. So the Gruden racism was deplorable and completely unacceptable and he had to be sacked. Um, so that's, that's one side and I don't think anyone can have any complaints with that. I think the other side is absolutely true and it's the only reason I would support John Gruden suing the NFL is because... What will happen is that will go to discovery now and we will see all the other emails, the, whatever it was, um, a huge number of emails for them to further, it was 600,000 emails, but for there to only be these half a dozen emails that implicated anybody in an absolute shit show of, sorry for swearing, sorry, of um, uh, this conundrum of, these are the only two bad people in the NFL. <laughs> we know, unfortunately, that there are a lot more people with similar views probably within the NFL. For God's sake, the football team whose general manager was sending the emails had a racist name. I mean, where do you where do you start with like where this might lead to? So I think the NFL is very much trying to protect itself. And I thought the timing of the leaking when the Raiders were having a really good run and the Raiders organization had kind of been outspoken against the league over a number of issues over the past while 
was interesting as well. And I don't don't necessarily buy into a conspira- conspiracy, but if the league had these emails in June and in August, why wasn't it acted on then? Like it, there, there's a lot of questions um, that I would still have, but on the field, you know, you lose a play caller, you lose an offensive coordinator as well as a head coach. And that obviously has to have an impact in how you're running, running the offense. And I think while things have kind of settled down a little bit, the, the first few games, it looked like not, not much had changed. And in fact, it looked like things had improved because the offensive line had got better, the run game had got a little bit better, but they very much regressed to the worst of the Raiders over the John Gruden era now. This this obsession with running the football when you've got players creating gaps all the time. The amount of times, if you look at the All-22 film, that Darren Waller is running free down the seam. And I know you can't throw the ball to Darren Waller every single time, but I mean, throw it to him more than five or six times a game. And obviously don't do it 18 times or whatever it was in the first game of the season where he was completely over-targeted. But it, it just feels like the, the, they just need to step away from, from trying to be a run first team. It's not working with, with any of the running backs that they have. Um, but some of this is on Derek Carr as well. Now, Derek Carr has, I think, I I personally, and I know I'm probably on an, on an island of one here, I think Derek Carr is a top five QB at his very, very best. But what I've seen over the last couple of games is instead of trying to take the top off of defense, instead of trying to go for the deep ball, that's made him really, really look really good this season. He's checking down into runs. He's checking down into passes to his running back. And so, like, the... Over the course of the last two games, I think they went 14 third downs in a row without converting. Like That has to be on the quarterback. That's not a play-calling thing. That's a quarterback who's checking into runs on third and six. Like That's big brain stuff where you're going, okay, it's third and six, so they know we're definitely going to pass, so we're going to run. And you're going, well, all it takes is one person to make a tackle, and it's done. Whereas at least if you pass the ball, you've got three receivers and two tight ends. You've got options. One of them surely is going to get free for six yards. And it's frustrating stuff like that, that it, it, it just feels like they are the every aspect of the offense is the worst aspect of it. It could be at the moment. Um, and it's really hard to recover from that. Um, and it's hard. The, the only way I can see it happening is, is, is you, you minimize the playbook, you strip it right back. You go, okay, here are 20 concepts that work. Let's run variations of those against the Cowboys, because it's a short week, obviously, to prepare for the Cowboys. And, you know, you're coming up against an offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore and the Cowboys, who, fair enough, they had a bad day at the office against the Chiefs at the weekend. But they are one of the best offenses in football for answering questions you didn't even know you would ask yet. The other team has asked you. Um, Kellen Moore is a phenomenally gifted offensive coordinator. And so I think the Cowboys are going to put up points um, in the Thursday night game, and I just haven't seen anything from the Raiders over the, since the bye week to to kind of tell me that they can live with them anymore. That whereas at the start of the season, you know, I'd fancy the Raiders' chances against anyone in a shootout. Now, those quick scoring drives are few and far between, so it's it's really hard to see it. Yeah, and. Just to circle back a bit to to Derek Carr, there, it seems as though he is one of those players that could, is most affected by the John Gruden departure. Uh, I think I remember his his quote. I think it was 
one of the things he said, which kind of perplexing, was forgive the man, but don't forgive the act or something like that. And he was very, um, very humble in his words towards towards Gruden. And maybe that is that sort of that coach, the you know the quarterback, the QB guru, as he was sort of mentioned as before. That maybe Carr sort of struggling to, you know, adjust without having him on the sideline. Yeah, I think you're right, and like he, I think he's bearing the weight of the Henry Ruggs thing, um, really heavily as well. Because I think he, did he say love the man but hate the sin around that kind of a similar kind of idea. But you get the feeling that he takes on everything involved with the Raiders organization personally, um, and and he really feels the weight of that upon his shoulders. And while that is commendable. He also has to go out on a football field and diagnose a defense and and complete a pass and things like that. And you know when you've got all that, you you know, like any job, whatever your job is, if you've got other stuff going on in your mind, it's really difficult to do what's in front of you. Sometimes it's it's it's, it's, it's distraction is the wrong word because they're too serious an issue to cause a distraction. They're fundamentally much more important than football. I think that's really worth pointing out as well. So maybe our expectation levels as fans should should come down a notch or two like that. You know, there are very few organizations and very few quarterbacks that could bounce back from either of these things happening to them in a season. And as a Raiders fan, we're hoping that, or as a Raiders fan, I'm hoping that they bounce back from both of them, which is it's maybe just too much of an ask. So, like I, the the David Carr tweet that he obviously deleted very quickly because he got ratioed to to to, to outward space where he said like when. Derek wins MVP. It's going to be the greatest MVP performance in the history of the NFL. And while that's complete hyperbole, he's not wrong. Like if the Raiders had have continued the success and, and if the Raiders had went on to win the Super Bowl, this is like the greatest America's game documentary ever made. It's probably because of just all the adversity that you've to, you've to come through in the season. So I, I can see it from that point of view as well, but you're right. Like from a, functional point of view greg olson is not the person who designed this playbook greg olson is not the person who has been teaching Derek carr how to diagnose defenses he's seen what to check into over the past four years it's been john gruden and to lose that like to lose that at any level i think is 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 massive that relationship between qb and 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 coaches it it there is no sport for one position, no team sport for one position fundamentally decides the outcome of games as much as quarterback in, in, in football. And for that relationship to break down has had to have an impact. And I think it's the kind of thing that's really difficult to, to kind of regroup from midstream. It's, it's the thing you need an off season to work towards. And I think Olsen has shown flashes of potential that he could be a clever play caller. I think he's, He's definitely kept the heavy packages that Gruden loved and and he's not necessarily using them in as creative a way. And I think that's something he needs to develop as well. But yeah, it's it's it it it's such a tough loss to lose your your OC and your your play caller in, in like that in mid season. And it it's really difficult to ask how, how you can bounce back from it. Yeah, and the Raiders have recently brought in Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Jackson to sort of help with that loss of, of Henry Ruggs taking that that guy over the top the, for defences. 
you know, it, it has only been a couple of games. I'm not expecting him to light the world up in a couple of games. But how have you feel he's adjusted to the the Raiders scheme? Um, not very well. Uh, I think the the play in the Kansas City game where he just ran the wrong direction. Like he seemed to forget completely where he was in the football field. This is this is the fine margins of that was what seventeen ten I think in that game. If he just takes that pass and and takes it to the end zone like he should because it was a perfect pass, that's a very different game and maybe a very different outcome. And maybe the Raiders' season is a very different look. Um. And I think what he's the Raiders playbook is huge. I think that's worth mentioning as well. And you know, within each each play that's called in has a run option and a pass option. And then you know you can hear him kill kill or we're good, we're good at the line of scrimmage, and that's car changing the play. But within that, each passing route has a number of options. It's not just one route. It's not just a goal route. It's not just a slant. He's told that if the defender is playing off coverage, you do this. If he's playing press coverage, you do that. Um, if they're in zone, you do something else. So there's a huge amount of information to take in for wide receivers in a playbook like this. So I don't blame him for not getting it. But I also think if you're Greg Olson, you have to simplify it for him. You say to him, okay, you just have a goal route. You just have a slant. You just have a curl. Like, until you get your head around the whole playbook, you can't expect. You see, really, really, like, um, was it AJ Green in the the Cardinals Packers game where he ran the wrong route? Like yeah. he ran outside and he should have ran inside, and then it looks like a really bad throw from the quarterback. But that's on the receiver for. So you have really experienced players who've who who've kind of been around the league for a long time who who kind of make these mistakes as well. So I'm going to give it time. I like he's not rogues. Like he's not rugs. Like rugs this year had established himself as okay. Do you know what? That was a really good pick because it, he's doing exactly what they drafted him for. And now the Raiders drafting has been horrific, but rugs is one that they absolutely got right, and this or it looked like they were getting right um, on the field. And so I, I it, it's it's he has been brought in for a similar role, but he just can't replace him. So maybe they need to use him in a slightly different way. And if that is just going to be a decoy and someone to take double coverage away from Darren Waller, but the only way you can do that is by making sure the ball goes into his hands. If you're not targeting him and if he's not making catches, then why would they double team him? And of course they're going to stay double teaming Waller. So they need to really get him involved more, but it's probably not going to be in the way they thought. It's probably going to be on shorter routes, on um, screens, on wheels, um, jet sweeps, those kind of things, just to make sure the defense have to account for him because it's not going to be a deep threat. Yeah, and, and I guess maybe someone who's, I guess, benefited from from Ruggs not being in the team has been Brian Edwards. Um, I know that you mentioned that they, the, the draft picks have not been great for the Raiders the last couple of years, but Early days here with, with Edwards, it seems as though they seem to possibly hit on someone here. Yeah, I think so. And I, the, I think the issue with Edwards might be that he's he's at best a, a, a WR2. Um, he's never going to be the focal point of your offense. But I think if you've got a hybrid kind of tight end receiver like Waller, he doesn't need to be really, especially when you've got someone like Renfro, who's an unbelievably good slot receiver as well. So... It feels like the Raiders have all the pieces. They just keep trying to establish this run game first, and, and and instead of just trusting those four, like those between between Renfro, Waller, and Edwards, 
you know, that's a receiving core that a lot of teams would would really like to have. So why is Kenyon Drake catching a pass six yards behind the line of scrimmage? <laughs> like, it's it just a lot of these things, a lot of the decisions don't make sense to me. But I think you're right. Like, the, what they've been good at in terms of draft picks, and Max Crosby is the perfect example. Like, if, 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 if um, Farrell and Crosby had swapped draft positions, no one would blink an eyelid. It's because uh, Crosby was drafted in, you know, later on that people are going, oh, what a find. And, and, and Farrell is a, is a, is a bust. And I think we're looking towards the, 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 the bust category now with him. But Max Crosby is a top five defensive end. Like he is showing that now in his play and they've got him, they got him, you know, in the second round. So, I think those kind of things are are good when you can find. I mean, the the Pittsburgh Steelers have made a you know almost a a modus operandi out of finding receivers later on in the draft and turning them into world beaters. And I think the Raiders could do something like that with Edwards. I just it's just that thing of if you ever asked him to be WR one, could he be? And I'm not. I'm just not sure he could be. But he he doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, exactly. Um... Just from looking at it at the you know the Seattle point of view, how's uh, how's KJ Wright getting on over there? Not as impactful as I think Raiders fans thought he might be, but he's not costing them games either, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I think from a I think it, it he's been he's been fine and they saying it's the word he's been grand you know <laughs> to, 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 to put the Irish spin on it like I just don't think he set the world alight the way I, a lot of Raiders fans hoped he would but then he necessarily hasn't necessarily been asked to because a lot of what the Raiders do is all based around that front four um and everything else behind is kind of I wouldn't say secondary to it uh, forgive the pun but I would say it's almost an afterthought to what what that offense is like i mean it's not like they're they they so rarely blitz they're not asking their linebackers to be involved in in, in that side of thing at all like or, or their, their def- defensive backs so yeah it's it's been fine but not even from my point of view he hasn't had the kind of you don't notice him in games really but that's a good thing as well he's not making mistakes either he's not missing tackles he's um or he's not getting burned in coverage so i i i think it's okay, but not as good as anyone hoped. Yeah, and and looking ahead to to the game on Thursday, um, the the Cowboys are having a bit of an issue there with with their receiving core. Um, Mary Cooper, I believe, is still going to be on the COVID list. I think he's still out. Um, CD Lamb went out of the game early as well on Sunday, so there's a bit of doubt about his availability. So it looks like they're going to be looking to sort of the sort of backups and the likes of Michael Gallup and, you know, Cedric Wilson, you know, who aren't bad names to throw to. And uh, of course, uh, who was it? Dalton Schultz had a good game on, on Sunday too, but maybe it, we might see a lot more from Tony Pollard and, and Zeke, um, maybe a more run heavy team this week. Yeah. And I think that's the way to beat the Raiders as well, is to just pound it in their throats. Um, we saw it with the Bengals last week. I was it? 130 yards on the ground and another 40 yards in the air um like i i think it's this matchup for the cowboys is coming at a really good time for them because they can just just focus on the ground game um and i think they'll they'll have success 
I think the Amari Cooper thing is interesting. I think a lot of Raiders fans would have liked to um, have another shot at Amari Cooper, I think. Um, it's worked out once against Mac, uh, going up against, you know, former first round picks that, that bizarrely traded away. Um, but Cooper, Cooper is an interesting one because um, he, I think he's the best route runner in than the, in the NFL. I think his issues has always been drops. Um, but I think losing Bo Cooper and Lamb, if that is the case, that that is it absolutely does have an impact. And I think what, what it does mean is that the Raiders maybe they'll still play, they'll still play um, cover three because that's what they've been playing most of the year. Um, even when it was really clear against the Chiefs that this is not what you should be doing against Patrick Mahomes. Um but I think what you might see is maybe more seven and eight man boxes than they usually do um, to try and negate that run. Because as good as the pass rush has been, it has not been very good um, at, at stopping the run. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw, you know, a running back over uh, for the Cowboys over 100 yards in this game at all. Um, it, it feels like. And that, like I said it already, um, Kellen Moore is a very, very smart coordinator. He tends to take what defenses offer him more, more time, rather than try to be too clever. Um, so I think if the ground is there, they're going to absolutely take it. And, and there's nothing the Raiders have done so far this season that would make me think that they can stop it either. Yeah, uh, and then looking at the, the Raiders' offensive side of the ball, um. It's still gonna. It is a improving Cowboys defense, although they didn't have their best game uh, at the weekend. But I guess they're sort of their their main pass rushers and in Lawrence and Gregory sort of missing is sort of starting to to tell a little bit now. Yeah, I think it is, and I think the Raiders' offensive line. Um, John Simpson went out at left guard early on um, on Sunday and definitely had an impact. You could see they've definitely they're starting to feel like incognito's absence at this stage, and nobody really knows what's going on there. Like he, every week you're told, oh, he's only a couple of days away from being back, and he's not back. And you know, guards, as as you know, like I mean, they're fundamentally important for establishing the run game. And I, I know I keep going on about this, but if that's what the Raiders want to do, you can't do it with your third choice guards. You just can't. They have to be quality, quality players for you to be able to establish a run game. So I think the the, the Raiders will hopefully try and alleviate any gaps in that O-line by getting away from running and going back to the passing game. And I think they could have some success there. Obviously, Carr has had a couple of sacks that I would say are on him um, in recent games where he's holding onto the ball just slightly too long, which is never a complaint I've usually had with him. Usually he's too quick to release the ball. He's too quick to go to that underneath route rather than letting the, letting the play develop. So it, it all depends on the first two drives. So the Raiders are very good at scripting their first drive, um, or they have been under Olsen, been very good at scripting their first drive for the most part. And I think the problem tends to be later on in the first quarter. I mean, I, th- I think there, there's no team with a worse points differential in the first quarter than the Raiders. And while earlier on this season, they were coming back and climbing out with that hole. Um, they haven't been doing that of late. So I think 
the key drive for me is the second drive. If they can either take a lot of time off the clock or score on that second drive, it sets them up well for the day. If they, if it's a three and out, I think you, I, I've just seen this performance too many times to know that I can turn off my TV and go to bed because it's done. Um, sadly. Um, now, I watched all of the Bengals game uh, on Sunday, but I, like, I knew from the opening drive, from the fact that they didn't take a shot at the end zone, from being at the nine-yard line, that it just wasn't going to be that day. And I have a horrible, horrible feeling that it's going to be the same for the Raiders on Thursday. Uh, look, I know, I know the pain. Um, I I didn't stay up and watch the Cardinals game on Sunday. I saw I did I did go to bed uh, after about the the towards the end of the third quarter because uh, like that at the moment you sort of know when teams are going to go. Here's an interesting one. Try actually, it's just come off the top of my head because there's such difficulties going on. Would you, and you're high on Derek Carr? Would you trade Derek Carr for Russell Wilson? No, but not because of Russell Wilson, the footballer, but more because of Russell Wilson, the personality. Um, That's fair. Yeah, there's the the whole let Russ cook thing. Just it's not. It does, he, I, I think he's. I think he's a brilliant quarterback. I think he's, to me, he's a top three quarterback in the league when he's on form. Um, but I do think that if the Raiders don't make the playoffs this year, but Carr has a good run in, I think there's a lot of team. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a Derek Carr away from being a Super Bowl team with the rest of that offense that they have. And I think there's a few teams like that that will be willing trade partners for Derek Carr. Um, and with the way the Gruden thing has played out and how close those two were, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Derek Carr wasn't the quarterback next year if the Raiders don't make the playoffs this year. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Before um, we let you go, I want to ask about the sort of head coach sort of vacancy because you know we you've got risk rick um biscaccia at the moment um he, you know i don't know if you think that he's viable candidate to be the head coach going forward but of course with mike mayock there to sort of make the decision who what sort of names are you looking at um i think i saw doug peterson was linked to it before would you like a, a Doug Peter, like a former head coach to come in and sort of continue that or would you be looking at one of these up and coming um, OCs like a, a Dayball or a enemy to come in? Yeah, Biennemi is a great show I think. Um, I think Kellen Moore again is a great show. Like, I've been a fan of Kellen Moore since he was QB with Boise State. I've always like I thought he had a great football mind but I think the right answer is Doug Peterson. Um, experience Really, really creative offensive playbook, um, but also a heavy culture guy. And I think given what has happened with the Raiders this year, that's going to be vitally important. And as much as it's great to kind of look for and land the next McVeigh or whatever, I think it's more important that they establish what the identity of the Las Vegas Raiders is because it's a bit up in the air at the moment. And I think Peterson would be perfect for that i also think say someone like like if kellen moore like started interviewing for head coaching roles i think jerry jones immediately sacks mike mccarthy and puts <laughs> kellen moore in a, 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 as head coach the other one that doesn't get mentioned because i think everyone's kind of just assumed he's waiting for belichick to go is josh mcdaniels and i know he had his issues with the colts but ultimately mcdaniels 
got that situation. He handled it wrong, but he got it right because he was walking into what he was hired to do was not the job he would have ended up walking into with, with Andrew Luck retiring and things like that. But I think he's shown with Matt Jones this year and he showed with Cam last year that he can adapt his offense to whoever the quarterback is. And I think for me, that is the most important thing you can get from your head coach or your offensive coordinator is that they will change to suit the personnel they have. They won't ask the personnel they have to change to suit them. So for me, if it's not going to be Peterson, I'd love them to take a run at the enemy or then go the other way, go really young, go really up and coming in Kellymore. Yeah. And would you sort of look at maybe the college side of things? Would you look at a, a Harbaugh or maybe a Shaw or something like that? I don't think so. I think there's been enough kind of coaches um, just looking at the Urban Wire situation and go, <laughs> uh, no, maybe not. Like um, That's sort of an enigma in all of itself, that, that situation. That's fair. Because you know? yeah, Matt Rule's doing kind of all right with the Panthers. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think what it'd have to be is someone to come in with a really clear philosophy. I think that's where, again, it's the Peterson thing I was talking about. Like, you know what a Doug Peterson offense is going to look like. And I think it would help the Raiders because obviously you're going, you know, he's from that, like, Andy Reid school. Yeah, he brings his own kind of kind of um, angle to it. But it, I think that would help the team as a whole to have someone with that Andy Reid kind of coaching tree mindset in that division, especially if Pat Mahomes is just going to play out of his skin for the next 10 years, as we all suspect he might. So, Yeah, that's fair enough. And uh, before we let you go, prediction for, for Thursday, is it, I know you said it's all about that, those first couple of drives. If they're good, do you give them a chance to win or do you still think it's going to be a sort of Cowboys victory? No, I think if the Raiders get over twenty points, they'll they'll win. This is the, this is their benchmark. If 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 I feel, um, but I think it could be one of those games that's really close until like late in the third quarter, and then end up like the Bengals, where it looks like a like it looks like a route, but actually it was a much closer game. The Chiefs was the same. Um, I'm owed a good result because, you know, Manchester United have been rubbish. Uh, the Raiders have been rubbish. I feel like I, the, the universe, I broke my ankle. Uh, I feel like the universe owes me a positive result. So I'm going to forget everything I've said for the last half an hour and the Raiders 35-32. Perfect. And we'll see Derek Hard then on the side of the pitch eating turkey at the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So Steve, as always, it's great to speak to you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. No problem at all there. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to speak to Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. And you're welcome back to the Under Center podcast here with your Thanksgiving Day preview show. Uh, we have just talked about the Raiders. We're going to now look at the first game of Thursday's lineup, and that is, of course, the Chicago Bears traveling to Detroit to take on the winless Lions. And with us here to preview the game i'm delighted to have patrick feely from the chicago sun times patrick it's great to speak to you how are you it's good it's it, you pronounce my name better than i do i like it <laughs> no problem no problem at all it's uh i'm glad we could do that and i'm glad we could have the chance to speak now uh, a little bit about the bears because it, it has been a tough season for them so far three and seven the the tough loss against the ravens at the weekend of course by 16 points to 30 and with the Lamar Jackson less Ravens I should say as well um, we've seen a report here today and we spoke about a little bit of their off air still trying to see if, if it's verifiable or not that Thursday could be Matt Nagy's last game in charge there was a lot of vocal 
um, support for Nagy to lose his job in the stadium on Sunday, especially some of the videos I saw online. It's it's not a great time for for Nagy. We thought he'd lose his job at the end of the at the season, but things seem to maybe have accelerated a bit now with five losses in a row. Yeah, we'll see if there's anything to that report. I I don't think. It's surprising that now he's probably on his way out at the end of the season. I thought coming out of the bye, the only way he could save his job would be if Justin Fields performed at a very high level, um, so much so that that the Bears would just be obligated almost to keep his system in place. Uh, now with Fields hurt, it seems like the odds of that are dwindling. Some of the in-game stuff we saw with Matt Nagy on Sunday was obviously pretty disconcerting. Now, that said, I don't know what you gain from firing a coach midseason. The Bears have never done it. Uh, this year, the NFL is allowing you to interview uh, assistant coaches from other teams in the final two weeks of the season. So that would be a motivator, but I'm not sure that that would be any motivator to do it with, um, you know, you know, after this game, you know, six games to play. And, and, and let's remember, too, if they were to replace him, they'd replace him with Chris Tabor, the special teams coach. It's not like you're getting any nuanced look at the organization that way either. It would just be kind of a babysitting role. Yeah, it's it, it, he had sort of given up play calling to to Bill Lazor a little bit, and it seemed to improve things for a while. But it seems as though the um, the team just hasn't performed to obviously to the obviously the way he would like. But in general, and and it seems as though fans have had enough. Like you were mentioned though about Fields, he has sort of he has struggled a little bit, which is. Obviously, to be expected, you know, rookie coming into the, into the league like this, um, hurt a little bit. Like you mentioned, he's he's not expected to play on Thursday. It'll probably be Andy Dalton that will take the uh, the reps under center. But you know, how have you felt Fields has performed this year, especially with all the uncertainty with the with the head coach uh, around him? And I thought that uh, in the two games uh, before the bye, he was good. And I thought that you could see some real growth with him and that that was encouraging. You know, it's just a, a tough situation for all for everybody. You know, when the Bears signed Andy Dalton, uh, they signed him thinking that he would be uh, the starter this season. You know, six weeks later, they got lucky and were able to trade for Justin Fields. Nobody in that building thought that Fields was going to be available to them. Remember, there was a world where those five quarterbacks went in the first seven or eight picks and the Bears were sitting, you know, in the 20s. So uh, when they drafted Fields, uh, the Bears' decision to stick with Andy Dalton as the starter and develop Fields behind the scenes uh, made sense, given Matt Nagy's experience uh, with Patrick Mahomes in that situation. But then when you're forced to play him, and when he hadn't had any real reps with the starters, whether it was in training camp, uh, preseason games, or the regular season, it was ugly. And you know it took a month probably for the Bears' offense and, and for Justin Fields to kind of get its feet underneath it. Um, so that's what was going to make the second half of the season. So interesting for Justin was with regular reps, with the starters, with a comfort level, with the starters, how, um, how would he perform? And the bears have to be hoping that they get to find out here, you know, bruised ribs are not nearly as bad as broken ribs, but, you know, giving him a full two weeks off and allowing him to sit out against Detroit seems to me to be the only path here in terms of keeping him healthy. Yeah. And sort of one relationship he sort of developed with his with his wide receivers is that of Darnell Mooney who had a fantastic game last weekend with five five catches 121 yards and and a touchdown he has sort of built that rapport with him um throughout the year and it's sort of maybe is is a positive in the other sense that 
it will help sort of fill the void that could possibly be left by Allen Robinson if he does leave at the end of the year. Yeah, and it also shows you too how limited the Bears offense would be if they don't get another dependable receiver uh, next season if they let Allen Robinson walk. Uh, Mooney, to me, has looked good. Uh, I think Mooney could be a very good receiver in the league for a long time. I'm not sure that Darnell Mooney is your number one receiver clear cut. I think it's probably, uh, you know, he's going to need a running mate. And if you're letting Allen Robinson walk, you better find somebody who is dangerous. And, you know, the problem with this Justin Fields trade, guys, or, you know, is they don't have a first round pick. I mean, now you're hoping that your, you know, you know, mid second round pick brings you back a receiver that's somewhat similar to Allen Robinson. I mean, that would be a miracle. So, so yeah, it's, it's been a good showcase for Mooney. I still wonder whether there's a way to get Allen Robinson back in the fold next year, because I think he's better than they can do uh, behind door number two. Yeah. I, I guess maybe it's all dependent on the, on the, the new head coach that comes in. If it is someone that obviously Robinson and his camp sort of, likes and likes the, the the plan that they have set up for the next couple of years could be a big factor in whether he of course stays um or not looking at the the game itself on Thursday um Mar- or Khalil Mack is out of course for the season Akeem Hicks mixed the game last week um is there any indication whether or not he'll be available no they're just putting out kind of fictional injury reports this week because there are no real heavy practices going on I, I believe he'll be out. Uh, you know, we'll see if he rallies. But, you know, you would think that uh, missing a game on, on Sunday does not bode well for a game that's 90 hours later. Uh, Allen Robinson, you know, you might be able to say the same about he was doubtful and did not play. And, and then you've got Eddie Jackson. And I think Eddie Jackson's probably the most interesting part of this conversation because, you know, the, the Bears defensive backfield really did look broken uh, in the on the final drive against the Ravens. You know, they let a guy who had never started an NFL game before just absolutely pick them apart. Uh, so getting Jackson back would be a big deal um, for the Bears. It would add some stability there. It would add some big play ability as well. Um, and, you know, he was questionable before he was ruled out. So, you know, that means he's a little closer than the other guys are. Yeah, and of course, this you mentioned there a little bit about the defense. Um, of course, defensive coordinator Sean Desai, it is his first year as the Bears' um, DC. How have you felt he's performed? I, I think he's been okay. I think he's been hampered, obviously, by injuries. You know, you look at, you know, you just mentioned uh, Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn missed some time uh, going on the COVID list. I, I think, if, and I think this still holds true, there are like four players on the defense who have made every start. And it's Roquan Smith and their three corners, I believe it is. Uh, you know, their nickel corner, Kendall Vildor, um, Duke Shelley, uh, and um, and Jalen Johnson. So he's he's had a little bit of a challenge put in front of him. But let's face it, if this defense was was awesome, uh, the job probably wouldn't have come up in the first place. Chuck Pagano probably would have stuck around another year if this defense um, was completely held together. I like his creativity. I like the fact that um, the players seem to have buy-in with him, but it really hasn't been clicking. When you look at at the takeaways that they uh, got in the first four weeks of the season versus the takeaways they've gotten since, it's not close. There's been a big uh, you know drop off there, and I think you can give him a little bit of credit for Robert Quinn's resurgence. Uh, Quinn again looks like one of the best pass rushers in football, um, and, and that is a very good thing because he was the worst, probably the worst contract in football last year. Yeah, definitely. Um, looking then at the, at the Lions' offense, the 
the expectation, I guess, is that Jared Goff is going to miss the game uh, again. So it'll be Tim Boyle that will come in for his second start, of course, after playing the Browns. But it's more the the the, the rushing attack that they're going to have to keep an eye on with the likes of Ed DeAndre Swift, who uh, had a, a pretty good game last week. Yeah, uh, you know, and the Bears had, had struggled against the rush uh, kind of off and on this season, which is very much unlike them. They usually, uh, under Vic Fangio and even under Chuck Pagano, got up for big running backs. Uh, DeAndre Swift's been good, uh, very under the radar player. And when you look at you know Boyle's passing yards, I think last year last week was under 100. Um, they're going to have to th- or they're going to have to run the ball well if they're going to stand the game. The Bears know that. You know, defensive line is where they're at their deepest. Uh, you would hope that that um, that that helps here, whether Akeem Hicks is ready to go or not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, that's to me that's that's what you've got to stop if you're going to keep the Lions. Off, you know, uh, if you're going to keep them from getting their first one, you got to shut down their run because I don't think they can beat you through the air. Yeah, and their defense is capable of getting takeaways as well. That we also that we see in kind of throughout the year, they're sort of a, a spiky defense, sort of in the mold of sort of Dan Campbell. They, they are sort of knee biters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're biting knees and doing all sorts of stuff. And I'll say this about the Lions: they haven't quit, and that is, uh, you know, that's damning with faint praise, <laughs> but. The fact that they seem to be playing pretty hard, uh, I, I do think reflects well on Campbell. The question you have to have about the Lions long-term is this, is they had an opportunity to draft a quarterback this past season. They did not. They went and got a, a tackle instead. And, and Sewell may turn out to be really, really good. But the Lions are going to have a high draft pick this year and a draft that's not good for quarterbacks. And you just wonder how they can get this thing turned around if they're going to run out a league average or worse a quarterback out there. You know, I think Bears fans have had experience with that the last couple of years, particularly with Mitch Trubisky, that you could have a really good defense and, you know, some pretty solid skill position players. But if the guy who's pulling the trigger isn't on point, uh, everything's going to seem a little sloppy. Yeah. And, and can I ask you about uh, GM Ryan Pace? Because like we mentioned earlier in, in the piece, the Matt Nagy, it is expectation that he is going to leave. It's a matter of when, sort of not if. But is Ryan Pace sort of um, position secure or is he sort of on the hot seat um, heading into the offseason? Oh, I think he's absolutely on the hot seat. You know, last year when the when George McCaskey spoke at the end of the season, he tied Pace and Nagy together talking about the collaboration between the two. Uh, it would be a pretty amazing feat if uh, Ryan Pace could somehow detach himself from Matt, from Matt Nagy's future. Uh, and uh, be given the power to go hire a new head coach. I know that the McCaskies really like Ryan Pace. I know that they entrusted him to rebuild uh, the facility, both literally and figuratively, when the, when the Bears uh, did a big remodel at Hallis Hall. Ryan Pace was very involved in that. Uh, so that is, uh, you know, it, and, and then it's impossible. You know, you look at Justin Fields, and, you know, it's absolutely the right move. He made the right move in the moment. You know, we don't know whether Justin Fields is going to turn out to be a great quarterback. But we know he's pretty good. You know, the chances of him being, you know, one of the best three quarterbacks in Bears history, which is a very low bar, the chances of that happening are pretty good. Um, So I I think you can try and make a case for Pace, uh, you know, based on some of his drafts, based on the trust he has with the family. But, you know, when you look at some of the Bears' flaws this year too, you know, Jimmy Graham not really being part of it despite being paid – like one of their best players, you know, them having Kendall Vildor as their second corner and every team in football attacking him in every game. Uh, the fact that, you know, uh, Tevin Jenkins, uh, you know, might've been a good idea uh, at, at left tackle, but he's a guy who played right tackle all through college. And then he hurts his back and then they're left to pull a 39 year old uh, Jason Peters, literally away from the fishing hole to come uh, try and compete in the middle of training camp. You know, th- those are some very obvious flaws 
in terms of roster building that, you know, I think Peters has done an okay job, but really, you know, these are, these are issues that a lot of people saw coming and that Ryan Pace probably should have done a better job heading off at the pass. I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up though. Kyle Fuller was really the one Bears veteran that they uh, cut last year because of salary cap reasons and because of a, a cash crunch. And, you know, when you look at what Fuller's been doing with, um, with the Broncos, he's been horrible. Um, so that is not nearly as bad of a move as we thought it was in the moment. Yeah, he was definitely um, sought after. after uh, and it was a lot of confusion about his release. But I guess, yeah, now with hindsight being 2020, is probably wasn't the worst move that the Bears made for for sure. Now, is there any name sort of you've heard um, on the grapevine at all in terms of head coach or GM that could be in line to replace those two if they do, in fact, uh, both lose their jobs? Yeah, th- those are great questions. You know, it, it, the first question has to be who's making the hire. I mean, if it's a new GM, then, you know, then, you know, maybe we see some sort of package deal. You know, the Bears have never really hired a coach and then hired a GM in that order. That's usually what or that is what some other teams have done in the past is to essentially bring in a football czar who's the head coach and then let him pick the guy. Uh, I know that's not the way that the McCaskies like to do it. Uh, if Ryan Pace is doing a hiring, that's a, that's a different question than if uh, we're starting from scratch completely. You know, I wonder whether Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator at the Bills, makes sense. Last year, uh, he was, you know, in my opinion, probably the best assistant to not get hired. Uh, but the Bills aren't quite as dominant as they were last season. You know, uh, uh, their play over the next – Two months will probably go a long ways toward helping uh, his case or hurting it. You know, you have to wonder with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, you know, quite honestly, and I, I don't mean this as cynically as it sounds, but I don't know if the Chicago Bears are a better job than the University of Michigan. I, I really don't. I think you could probably make a pretty good argument for both. Michigan looks really good. They play Ohio State on Sunday or on Saturday. Um, you know, we'll see what the outcome of that game does for Harbaugh's reputation, but he seems to more than at any point in the last five years be on pretty stable footing there. Um, I, you know, I don't know if he would want to leave that for, for this, um, or, or whether that would make sense. You know, obviously he played with the bears. There's a connection there. You know, a, a guy I've liked for a long time is David Shaw, the Stanford head coach, but Stanford has been horrible this season. And, uh, you don't know whether he would want to leave them under any circumstances, much less, uh, leave them in the lurch like that. Uh, those are three names off the top of my head. I think that they would probably go with an offensive minded coach. Uh, with the same rationale being that uh, they want to bring along Justin Fields, but you wonder whether they want to move in a different direction than they did with Nagy. I mean, with Nagy, you're hiring somebody who was, you know, an offensive, you're a quarterback's coach and an offensive coordinator who sometimes called plays. Uh, Typically the next hire in the NFL is not the same profile as the previous hire. So, you know, if you go with somebody with head coaching experience, uh, that obviously limits your pool considerably. Yeah, and I guess um, sort of Bears fans would not want to see another like Andy Reid disciple in the likes of Eric Bieniemy sort of come in again. Maybe if they, yeah. <laughs> right. maybe. Um, but then looking ahead, uh, like I said, one more time towards the game on Thanksgiving Day, and uh, what's sort of your prediction for what you think is going to happen? Is this going to be the Lions' sort of first win, or do you think uh, the Bears will have enough to sort of uh, get through this? Boy, we'll see, won't we? I, you know, I think the Bears uh, win the game, but you know, if you're the Lions and if you've been, you know, hungry for that win for you know the first ten weeks of the season, you really do wonder whether uh, they look at the Bears as their best opportunity, and and if so, I think you're going to get their best effort. Uh, I still think the Bears, even when banged up, have better players than the Lions. I think that the Bears, as of this moment, uh, 
are appropriately motivated to get their first victory in six weeks. Uh, so I, I, I think that I, I think the game will be closer than Bears fans would like to believe. Uh, but I do think the Bears uh, come out with the win. Yeah, if the Bears do don't come out with the win in this game, I'm pretty sure Matt Nagy won't have to bother going back to Illinois. I think he can <laughs> uh, pretty much assume that his job is going to be gone. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I would. I don't know if he were to survive that. The only reason would be just because uh, the franchise doesn't see a reason in firing somebody midseason. Yeah, well, excellent. So, Patrick, it's been so great to speak to you. Before we uh, let you go, uh, where can people read your work and um, also listen to the podcast? Yeah, Chicago Sun Times. Uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Patrick Finley, F I N L E Y. Uh, you can find our podcast, Hallis Intrigue, there. We do. We go on twice a week and when news breaks alongside Jason Leisure and Mark Potash, who were two very interesting reporters for the Sun-Times. Uh, you can follow us there. Uh, pick up a newspaper if you live in the Chicago area, and particularly on Saturdays. We have something called Sports Saturday, which is a sports magazine. Uh, it's the best deal uh, in Chicago, and it is like getting a Sports Illustrated just about Chicago sports uh, for the price of a cup of coffee. So uh, I encourage people to pick that up. Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. Patrick, again, thank you so much. And we hope to uh, speak to you again in the future. I'd like that. Thank you so much. No problem. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to look at the Bills and Saints game um, ahead of Thursday's triple header. And you're welcome back to the third and final part of this Thanksgiving Day preview special here on the Under Center podcast. I'm delighted to have Fionn by my side for this final part. Fionn, welcome back. Yeah, I finally made it in. We were a bit busy there during the week, but I, I finally got into one of these interviews. Yep, and we are going to be looking ahead to the Bills and the Saints game, the third of the triple header on Thursday evening. And we are delighted to have Sal Capaccio from the uh, Extra Point podcast. Uh, Sal, it's so good to speak to you. How are you? Uh, thanks, guys. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. Of course, not just uh, from the podcast. Of course, a Bills beat writer, beat writer, I should say, and sideline reporter. So it's great to speak to you, especially on such a hectic week. We appreciate the time that you're taking to speak to us. Yeah, it's, it's a short week. It's a quick week. I just came back. I'm scrambling around. I just came back from practice, actually. Uh, not a normal Tuesday. Tuesday's actually usually throughout the week my day off because it's usually players' day off. But, of course, they don't get a day off this week with the game on Thursday night. So uh, we had practice and press conferences and all that today. Yeah, and it's pretty much sort of just walkthroughs now this week, I guess. It's um, yeah. making sure that um, everyone sort of stays healthy. And the Bills are sort of in a, a an interesting situation where they, they don't really have a lot of injuries going into it. Sort of Cole Beasley is sort of questionable with the ribs. Spencer Brown is out due to the, being on the COVID list. Was there any other sort of names there to look out for that may uh, whose participation may be in question on Thursday? Yeah, actually, the two big ones are Spencer Brown and Star Latulale. They're both on the COVID list. Um, so the, those are the really, really big injuries, or, or I guess, what do you want to call them, COVID list or reserve additions. But um, Star has missed. Uh, he missed uh, the last two games. He missed a game against the Jets, then he missed a game against Indianapolis. And missing him on the defensive line, he's their best run stuffer. So missing him against Indy was a really, really big deal, as you knew that, uh, you know, that Jonathan Taylor ran for you know, what he did and all the touchdowns and the way that they controlled the line of scrimmage, that's a big deal. And then Spencer Brown being out at right tackle really shuffles the deck as well. And especially because, yes, also out is John Feliciano still. He's on injured reserve, so he's not going to show up on the injury report because he's on IR. And um, he can come back this week, but it's not looking like he's going to be able to yet. Um, pro probably the following week when they'll have 11 days to get ready for the New England Patriots. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, those are pretty important players. But the good news is um, both Cole Beasley – 
the wide receiver and linebacker Tremaine Edmonds were full participants at practice today. So it looks like they should be on the right track to play. Sal, what's the mood like in the camp at the moment? Obviously short weeks, everything is super hectic coming off a loss to, I think a pretty good Indianapolis team, slightly underrated given their start to the season, probably as a Bills team, you'd want it to have been kept a little closer is the mentality here, move on quickly and we'll analyze it some other day and let's get into the next game? Or is there a bit of panic and pandemonium trying to figure out what went wrong and fix and get ready for this week's game? Well, one thing about Sean McDermott teams is um, I don't think there's ever really any panic. You know, I think that's one thing that he's he's really good at calming the waters. He's good at keeping things pretty even keel and consistent. Um, but there certainly are going to be some changes, I think. You may see some changes in the lineup, active list, inactive list, guys who are playing. We just found out today that uh, rookie wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner, especially Marquez Stevenson, who's been on injured reserve all year. They activated him today to the pra- to practice. So we don't know if he's going to play, but he possibly plays. Which, if that happens, you would think that Isaiah McKenzie then is no longer the return man after the botch last week. So those are things that could very well happen. But I think the mood is generally it's a double-edged sword, which is the bad thing is you'd like to get on the practice field and fix what ailed you on Sunday. The good thing is you can get it out of your mind quickly and get back to work and play a game very quickly on a turnaround. So, you know, I think that they're trying to get past that game as quickly as they can. They don't want to forget about it. Sean's very good about, you know, being honest and really being critical and evaluating what you do. But at the same time, they do not want to, um, they do not want to just, uh, you know, focus on that when they have obviously a game to get ready on Thanksgiving night in a couple of days. Yeah. I, I want to speak a little bit about the offense there, Sal, because it, it... Apart from the the Jets game last week, it's been a tough sort of stretch for them. Teams, I don't want to say have figured out the offense because that's it's too simplistic of a term. But the the too high safety look seems to be giving them a bit of trouble at the moment, and with the struggles in the run game, especially um, that the Bills have had, it, it's sort of putting all the onus on Josh Allen. And you know, I think, um, I think like I said, they, they just seem to be struggling. Yeah, that's true. And, um, you know, they're a team that even going back to last year has not been able to really run the ball effectively enough, right? At times they are, but they'd really like to be able to do it better. They haven't been. And that really showed up again um, this year a few different times and then on Sunday as well. And you're right. If Josh doesn't play at an all pro level, you know, then it's, it's tougher for them to win. They really need him kind of to do that. It's been harder with the offensive line. The situation with Spencer Brown and John Feliciano being out. Uh, no doubt about that. I wouldn't be surprised, though. Matt Breida has done a really good job when he's been in there la- lately touching the ball. And he's been inactive most of the year, but he gets in against the Jets. He has only eight snaps. He had touches the ball six times. Two of them turn into touchdowns. He gets only a couple of snaps against the Indianapolis Colts. He's their leading rusher, 51 yards um, on what? I think uh, what have you, five carries. I think he only had 51 yards. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start going that route. And you think about Breida. You think about the guy I just talked about, Marquez Stevenson. You could be looking at a lot more speed on the field than what we've seen lately from the Bills, and that could be one of the answers that they're looking to. Yeah, and with the with the likes of Zach Moss and Devil Singletary, they, you know, they they've had the last two years to sort of you know stamp their name in in the in the RB one position, but it doesn't seem to be working out best for them. Do you think that it will be Matt Breida, providing he stays healthy, will will go as number one for the rest of the year? I think it's tough to make a general statement about the rest of the year. I mean, if he starts playing really well and he can kind of keep that job down, sure. But, I mean, he's – look, I think Devin Singletary has been actually pretty effective. Um, he's averaging like five yards a carry basically, right? I mean, there's certain times where you think, you know, you'd wish you could get more. But overall, I think that's pretty well. He just doesn't get a ton of carries. 
I think Zach Moss, though, it's been a di- little bit, di- bit of a disappointment for a lot of Bills fans that, uh, you know, last week, even like less than two yards of carry. He's a physical runner. It just doesn't seem like it's working for him this year as well as it should be. So I'd have a hard time saying Breed is going to be the number one. I don't think the Bills have a number one, so to speak. They never had that philosophy this year. What, they, what they'd like is a, gr- a group of runners, which includes Josh Allen, by the way, um, to be able to kind of be able to get to where they need running the football, you know. So um, I-, I think Matt Breed is going to be more involved. And how much more he gets involved will probably depend on how it goes from there as they start to do that. Sal, on the other side of the ball, the defense, you obviously came up against uh, Jonathan Taylor last week and and he did what he did. This week, it looks like, at least at the moment, Alvin Kamara is questionable. Will a lot of what the defense do hinges on whether or not he's participating? Of course, it's most likely going to be Trevor Simeon under center. Uh, how is the defense gonna gonna adjust the Saints offense that they're looking at on on this yeah. Thanksgiving day? I don't think it's gonna matter whether Kamara plays or not. If he does, okay. obviously he's a dynamic runner and you have to be aware of him. But I think look, the Bills do what they do. They're gonna play nickel. We were very surprised they stayed in the, their nickel package the entire game against the Colts, even though they were getting physically beaten up and they had to go against Jonathan Taylor. They stick with five defensive backs. That's what they do. That's you know who they are. We asked defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier if he thought about even getting out of that, and he basically said no. It wasn't really something that they. We're going to do so. I don't expect anything different. And on top of that is, you know, they do have Taysom Hill to run the ball. So they're going to have to be buttoned up in that regard. And maybe he winds up being a quarterback. I, I agree. I think probably looking like Simeon, but they may just say, hey, put it in Taysom Hill's hands. Let him play quarterback and run. Let him run the ball out of that. You know, I mean, after what the Colts did with Jonathan Taylor, maybe that's what they do. So I don't think the Bills do anything structurally, schematically different for Alvin Kamara. I think they just need to know when he's in the game and be aware mm-hmm. that, you know, that's their guy. Yeah, and, and like you're saying there about Hill, it, it would, I'm guessing the, the nickel package would work great for Simeon, who likes to throw the ball, but maybe it would be sort of a better option to maybe go with that extra linebacker just for plays that you have uh, Taysom Hill uh, under center. Because like that, his accuracy is not great throwing the, throwing the ball far, but short passes, if you have that extra linebacker, could clog it up. So it can help maybe, you know, stop that run game. Yeah, well, I will tell you, though, that their nickel back, Taron Johnson, and is an excellent run defender. So the Bills are very confident in that, too. Like, they don't have to switch him out to go with a third linebacker in order to have somebody against the run. He's just smaller. But he's a really, really good, uh, tough nickel corner. So he'll stick his nose in there. Sometimes I wonder if they want to maybe put Saran Neal in that spot, who's a defensive back, but he's like their big nickel, so to speak. He's, he's a slot guy, but he's bigger, and he can help out a little bit against the run. So... I don't expect any changes. I think the Bills will stay in their their base package, and their base package is nickel. But um, I was surprised last week, and maybe it does force them to maybe think about some adjustments based on the team that they're playing this week. And the fact that this team they're playing this week does not have a plethora of wide receivers. We had we had a guy on our show, Nick Underhill, who covers the New Orleans Saints. He was on my radio show this morning, and he actually said, and he covers the Saints, he said, if, you, if every one of the Saints receivers right now got released, they'd probably all have minimum salaries getting picked up by other teams because none of them are anybody that really – threatens to scare anybody Mm -hmm. looking at the stretch of games that's coming up saints on thanksgiving then you've got a big game a division rival game against the the patriots and then into the buccaneers tough three stretches is a win here gonna set up this bills team really nice for that tough little stretch of games and could we see a a big turnaround and a, a big change back into the narrative maybe even being 
first in the in the conference again. Well, you sure hope so. But look, there's there's just so many teams fighting for everything yeah. here right now. The AFC is loaded. The AFC has a lot of teams sitting right there. The Bills went from the two seed comfortably to the seven seed almost overnight here with New England now obviously in first place in the division. They're going to worry about one game at a time. I don't mean to sound mm -hmm. like a coach, but that's what they're going to do, right? They're not worried about right now New England on Monday night coming up or Tampa. But this game Thursday is really big for both teams. Um, uh, I'm sorry, New Orleans on Thursday on Thanksgiving is really big for both teams. You know, New Orleans is fighting for – they're in the seventh spot. They're five and five. The Bills are six and four. So whichever team loses, they're going to be kind of sitting on the outside looking in. But if the Bills do win, they have 11 days then to get ready for the New England Patriots coming to their house. And that could very well set up to be a game that ultimately could decide the AFC divisional title. So they don't want to get too far ahead of themselves. But this is a big win to set themselves up to be able to kind of take care of business and then maybe jump back to where they need to be. Yeah, and, and with this Saints defense as well, it's it, – it's kind of difficult to know which sort of day, which one you're going to get on the game because they it, it was a very tough game that they had against the Eagles, like shipping forty points. And the week before that, you know, they they performed actually quite well against the Titans despite losing that game. And it seems to be sort of a little Jekyll and Hyde with them at the moment. And um, that's that's the one thing that look you wish you could account for you wish you you'd know if they were bad or they were good because it's so hard to tell which defense you're going to get yeah i mean i think they're in the same situation as the bills in a lot of ways there's a lot of guys out by the way you talk about the bills having you know guys out there's six guys who were listed as did not practice on an estimated report yesterday for for uh new orleans that included alvin Kamara, both of their starting tackles on offense another tackle who basically was a backup had to have surgery today he's out for the season their tight end Troutman, he's out for four to six weeks. We found out yesterday they have a lot of different you know, injuries there. But on the defensive side, you know, you look at the, they were the number one or number two defense against the run all year. And then all of a sudden, the Philadelphia Eagles just paced them on the ground. And a lot of that came from their quarterback, Jalen Hurts, guys. And I wonder if the Bills use Josh Allen in a mobile running role this week because he is a really mobile athletic quarterback. And if that they could do something there. But uh, it's also interesting, I'll say, as the sideline reporter, I'll say we have not had good weather for a lot of games this year, whether it's home or away in Buffalo or elsewhere. This will be the first controlled environment the Bills offense gets to play in this season, um, which is interesting because I want to I'm interested to see what do they do now in a dome in a controlled environment. There's no wind. There's no rain or anything like that. And maybe we see them get back to, you know, that offense that we saw them through pretty much all last year and most of this year. Yeah, it is interesting that you mentioned that because that they're playing in a like like you said a controlled uh, environment there in the dome on Thanksgiving because the last time they played in Thanksgiving they were playing in the AT and T Stadium and they had a nice surprise victory you could say over over the mm -hmm. Cowboys by twenty six points to fifteen so you know all the elements are there for hopefully another good day for the Bills. No doubt about it. And the Bills have been very good in primetime under Sean McDermott since he came here. They didn't get a lot of primetime games for a long, long time. They didn't deserve it, quite frankly. Um, but, you know, they, they started to they, they make the playoffs in 17 and then things like that start to come. They go to Pittsburgh on a Sunday night and um, make the playoffs a couple of years ago. Uh, they went to uh, New England on a Saturday evening a couple of years ago and were right there until the fourth quarter. Obviously, they won this year on Sunday night in Kansas City in a revenge game. They a heck of a contest against Tennessee. They lost. But it was a heck of a game, but the Bills have the Bills have done well, and I think that they have a lot of players that really kind of shine, and especially Josh Allen. I think that they like to shine in this type of situation and environment. So I think that they'll be um, they'll be ready to play for this one. Yeah, now tell me a little bit about well, try to explain to me a little bit about what the AFC has been this year so far, because any team that has gone in as the number one 
seed entering a week has had the surprise defeat if it's not the the Texans losing or the, the Titans sorry losing to the Texans when the Bills um losing surprisingly to to the Jaguars so many sort of surprising um losses for for teams that we thought we could uh, put the hammer down and say that's our number one seed yeah and the Ravens losing to the Dolphins a few weeks ago right I mean we keep seeing this happen over and over and um, I think it just speaks to the parody of the league it's what the league wants the NFL wants parody they want all this happening they want chaos they want us to get down to weeks 16 17 and 18 and not know what's happening because it makes every game that much bigger makes eyeballs that much more important to people who want to basically get to um, watch these games and see what's happening um, every team it's funny you could line up every team in the AFC however you want to but they're all going to have flaws if you went through them you say well, Tennessee without Derrick Henry especially has a big flaw, right? Running the ball. We saw that. They have not been able to move the ball. Um, New England, I think their flaw is they can't push the ball downfield. What's going to happen when they get in a situation where they have to score a little bit later, you know, in the second half? They, they don't. They check it down. They play good defense. That's all great. But that's their flaw, I think. The Bills we've seen. Their flaw is stopping the run or running the football, maybe, if you want to say that. Cleveland, I mean, they, they're up and down with their quarterback play. Defense as well. They're a bit erratic. Every team. Baltimore, who are they? On offense, I'm not really sure. It seems like they have a problem throwing the football as well. So when you talk about the AFC, I think you talk about a lot of teams that are right there, and it's really just about matchups. Whichever team matches up on that particular day is better than another team. I think the the Colts are a horrible matchup for the Bills, but I think playing against the Chiefs is a good matchup for the Bills, which we saw, which is very interesting. So I think it's think it's football is like that. It's a chess match. It's about matchups. It's about injuries, and you know, it's a uh, it's a war of attrition. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, and. I want to know which has been more surprising to you, obviously, um, this season. Um, has it been the, the, how, how good the New England Patriots have played with, with their rookie QB or how much that the Chiefs have struggled um, you know, for a period on offense? They seem to be right in the ship at the moment, but they have struggled for a, a good uh, portion of the year. I'd say the Chiefs were more surprising. They have started to turn around, but even then, they, their offense still isn't playing great. They played a, more of a defensive game against the Cowboys on Sunday, but um, he always knew that Bill Belichick was going to have a very well-coached team, a good defense. We knew what they were going to try and do coming into the year. After they signed the two tight ends, John Smith and Hunter Henry, you knew the type of ball they wanted to play. They wanted to be controlling, have a good offensive line, run the football, play defense. They've done that. And again, they're not asking their quarterback to do a lot. Give them a lot of credit. They've done a really good job. But that's not surprising to me that they've played this way and they've, they've won. But the chief, the thing you could you thought you could count on coming into the year is Patrick Mahomes would be lighting up the yard and throwing it around, an MVP candidate. He's been anything but. He's been turning the ball over. They've had inconsistencies. They have won four in a row. They're playing better defense. There's no doubt. There's still a lot of time left. But I think, to me, that's been more of a surprise this year. Yeah. And before we uh, we wrap it up here, so I just want to get your uh, prediction for the game on Thursday. Who's going to be on the sideline eating that turkey leg? Ha! Whew. Well, I'm going to have to say Josh Allen. They'd probably be because he's the quarterback who I think of the team that's going to win. And I say that because, look, I – I think they'll win last week, and they got blown out, right? Who knows? But this is a team whose back is against the wall. They're facing a team that's depleted with injuries. I think Sean McDermott is generally good in this situation. I think the Bills have been good in these types of situations. Um, I think the Bills are going to put their best foot forward. I'm going to pick them to win, but I think this is a tough game, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it going the other way. But I think you'll, at the end, you'll probably see Josh Allen taking a big bite of that leg. Excellent stuff. Listen, Sal, it's been great to speak to you to preview the game. I know how hectic these sort of weeks can be, so we appreciate your time. Before we do let you go, where can people find the podcast? 
Uh, well, you know, I'm on the air, I'm on the air in Buffalo every day. Uh, Buffalo WGR Sports Radio 550. So you can listen in our Odyssey app. You can just listen live. You can rewind. I'm giving updates on the bills. I host my own show 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern every single day, except Tuesdays usually when I'm off. Um, and then the podcast. We turn that show into a podcast, and it's available on our Odyssey app or iTunes Store. And it's the Extra Point with me, Sal Capaccio, and my co-host Joe DiBiase. Excellent stuff, Sal. Thanks again so much for taking the time. Hopefully you uh, enjoy the game on Tuesday. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great Thanksgiving. And to you too. And to you too, sir. And that is where we're going to wrap up this edition of the Under Center podcast. If you are uh, watching the games on Thursday, we hope you have a great Thanksgiving and you enjoy, enjoy every single game. Before we go, if you are heading out on Thursday, make sure you go to upstairs at McGowan's of Bibsworth because that's where you'll be getting your free chicken wings from 6 to 9 p.m. Of course, this show is brought to you by McGowan's of Bibsworth. Follow our socials at UndercenterPod on uh, YouTube, or not YouTube, Instagram and Twitter. YouTube is Undercenter Podcast uh, and Facebook, facebook.com forward slash UndercenterPod. Fionn, as always, thank you. Thank you very much. And that is it from us. We'll be back next week with our usual review show live. But until then, stay safe and we'll see you soon.